Please turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication." To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. We've also been going through the Westminster Larger Catechism, select portions. If you have your Trinity hymnal, please open with me in the back to question 155, which is found on page 961 of the Trinity hymnal, page 961. Question 155, how is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace, and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Have you ever heard anyone tell you that? There's a movie called The Untouchables, to quote Sean Connery. They, he's a cop, and he's talking with another cop about bringing down Al Capone, who is a famous mobster. He says, you want to get Capone? They pull a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's how you get Capone. Brothers and sisters, we are facing an enemy far deadlier and more terrible than Al Capone. And the weapons of his warfare, 
The weapons of warfare against us are not knives or guns. It's something far deadlier, something that you need to be aware of. If there's one thing that I want us to remember from this text, it's that Paul is calling us to stand firm. But how is it that we stand? How do we stand firm in this deadly fight? We don't do it by using the weapons of this world. We stand firm by putting on the whole armor of God in order that in the evil day we would not lose our footing but stand. Here's what John Calvin says. The Lord offers to us arms for repelling every kind of attack. It remains for us to apply them to use and not leaving them hanging on the wall. Here's the context of this passage, or rather the the social context and the context of the passage. The social context is that Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians. Ephesus is a great city in the ancient world, perhaps the great, one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. It had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a great temple to the goddess Diana. There were many magicians, and there, there were many people worshiping the goddess Diana. In Acts chapter 19, we are told that there is a riot in Ephesus because Demetrius the silversmith and some of his colleagues were afraid that if Christianity took root in Ephesus, then the profits from their business of silver trade would go down. They saw Christianity as a threat, and the temptation for the Christians living in Ephesus was that of syncretism, of bowing to the pressure and conforming to the ways of the Ephesian Ephesian general population to worship the goddess Diana. The context of this passage is that Paul has just been talking about the daily routines, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, servants, masters, the daily routines of a Christian, what it should look like, how we should act in our various roles that we carry out from day to day. And it's very interesting that here, in the context of daily life, Paul switches gears to talk about warfare. Perhaps his point in doing so is to say that your enemy, this terrible, deadly enemy, is not content to leave you alone outside the walls of your daily life. He's not content to stay put outside the walls of the church or stay put outside the walls of your marriage or outside the walls of your own heart. Rather, the enemy is coming into your territory, and he wants to make his warfare against you right at home. Do you remember when David, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, when David was tempted, it says at that opening of that chapter, it was the time when the kings went off to battle. But David didn't do the normal routine for for the king. Instead, he stayed home when he should have been off in battle. That's the moment when the attack comes, when the enemy comes to tempt him. Here, we are told by the Apostle Paul, we are called to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says that we are not ignorant of Satan's strategies. What are those strategies? A few strategies that we see in the Bible are these. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are told not to preach any longer in that name. And they are imprisoned. They are being persecuted. One strategy is to ratchet up the pressure, social pressure, political pressure, to conform to the, to the ways of the world. Another strategy is to divide Christians. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, when the Greeks and the Jewish uh, people are all a part of one church, the Jewish excuse me, the Greek believers start complaining that their widows are being overlooked in the, daily dis- or the weekly distribution of funds. It's one way that the devil wants to take us away from Christ, to divide us. Another way is to compromise Ananias and Sapphira. They did not tell the whole truth about what they had been given and what they had given to the church. They lied. They only told half of the truth. Another strategy, you might say, is simply ignorance or a delusion that this battle that we fight will not cost us anything, that it will not cost us time or energy, that we don't have to sacrifice anything in this battle. That's not true. This is a a warfare which will call for sacrifice. Here's Charles Spurgeon on this particular passage. He says, you may be of a very quiet spirit, but your adversaries are not so. If you attempt to play at Christian warfare, they will not. To meet the powers of darkness is no sham battle. They mean mischief. Nothing but your eternal damnation will satisfy the fiendish hearts of Satan and his crew. If our foes were far away, we could play upon them with artillery which would kill at six or seven miles distance. But, and we might lead a pretty easy life, but no, they're here. They're at our doors. Now for the short sword, the Holy Scripture, to stab and to cut, near and now. No sling and stone will avail us here, but we must take the sword. You have to slay your foe or your foe will slay you. There is no room for peace. It is war to the knife, not only now, but to life's end. That's the nature of the warfare that we are facing. It is a daily battle, a constant battle that will require sacrifice. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, it's about a devil who tempts his subjects. And he says this, the devil says this, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Isn't that one of the, most, the main strategy that the devil uses is to take you out of the routines of the Christian life, of reading God's Word and of praying to Him, to take you out of those routines and day by day lead you off the path of the battle. Here, this is a rousing call to, to action, 
to put on the full armor of God, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with the enemies of this world. Yes, they may come at us, but it's really something behind them. The devil, the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the, pre- in the heavenly places. That's who we're fighting, and we're fighting it day by day, every day. That's the nature of the battle. But what resources does God give us in this battle? What resources do we have as Christians to fight this fight? Paul gives us a picture of a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier had a belt that held everything together, that carried his, we- his weapons. He had a breastplate that would go over the shoulders to protect the chest, to protect the heart. He had shoes that were sturdy, that when he got into a fight, that he wouldn't lose his footing. They had a kind of cleat on them. If you've played soccer or another uh, sport, you probably know that it is much easier to run, to shift your, your weight, if you have a proper shoe with the proper cleats. The Roman soldier was given a shield that would cover his entire body. Well, not his entire body, but from his shin area or his knee all the way to his neck. It was something that would protect him from the blows of the enemy. He wore a helmet that would cover his head that in case he was shot by an arrow or a spear or a sword, he wouldn't be undone. This is a picture of the complete outfit. Of course, don't forget the sword. But notice what Paul says about each of these pieces of armor. He gives another word with each one. It's not just a belt, but it is, in fact, in verse 14, the belt of truth that we are to fasten. Truth. This is so important because the devil knows that if he can cut the belt of truth, then he can strip away all the other armor. The belt of truth is so critical. Satan is a liar and wants to deceive you as to what the truth is. He wants to twist it. That's part of his strategy. I recently saw a debate by the Oxford Union. The Oxford Union is a debate society. They bring speakers from all over the world to debate controversial issues. And at the very end of the debate, they will vote in favor of who they believed won the debate. They recently, this year, debated this issue, whether or not the church should support and approve of same-sex marriage. One of the opposing, one of the, the men who upheld the orthodox position of the, the scriptural position of a man and a woman, his name was Calvin Robinson. He was in the Anglican Church. And after the debate ended, the Oxford Union, not only were they scoff, there were many people who were scoffing and mocking and hating what he had to say, but they voted overwhelmingly against him, overwhelmingly to affirm that the church should be supporting same-sex marriage. And at the very end of his speech, this is what he said. He quoted Athanasius. Athanasius knew what it was like to stand for the truth. Athanasius said that if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. 
That has to be our attitude as Christians, that no matter what our enemies say, no matter what the world thinks, no matter what even our friends think, that we are standing for the truth. And obviously there's a loving way to convey the truth, but if the world is against the truth, then we have to be on the side of the truth. We're to take the breastplate of righteousness. It is not our righteousness that we are given, that we are clothed in. It is, in fact, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to be guarded by our own righteousness, then the devil would come along and cut us down by saying, who are you to stand before God in your works? Who are you to claim that you can stand in the armies of the God Almighty. Who are you to claim that? But we have to know the truth to be able to turn the tables on our enemy and say, well, who are you to twist God's word? Who are you to say that Christ's righteousness is not enough for me to stand? We are to put on the shoes. Notice it says, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Verse 15, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That word peace is important. It means this, that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that no matter who you are at war with, you are not at war with God. You're on the winning side of this war. You're at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can take your stand Therefore, you can know that you're not going to get knocked over and you'll lose your footing. But you have to be grounded in the gospel, not how great you are, not how wonderful you are, not how many good works you have done, not in anything other than the forgiveness offered to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation through him. You are to take the shield of faith and extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. In pre-modern warfare, one of the things that an army might do is they might take their arrows and wrap them in maybe a cloth, dip them in some sort of fluid that was flammable and light it on fire and shoot it into enemy-occupied territory and light on fire anything that was in the vicinity. That's what the devil wants to do in your life. He's aiming his his arrow at what is sacred and holy in your life. He's aiming his darts into the places that are most sacred. And he wants to light it on fire and destroy everything that is good in this world. And he wants to do it in your life. What are you going to use in that day? We are to take up the shield of faith, the shield of faith, and unite amongst ourselves in the shield of faith to protect ourselves from these fiery darts. We're to put on the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation, verse 17. This is similar to the expression that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. Paul says, We're to put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. What is it that gives you hope? 
Let me tell you what gives me hope. Revelation chapter 19 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse, on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Brothers and sisters, that's what you're to put on your helmet. This, this is the helmet. This is what you're to put in your mind as you are going out into battle. You're to put your eyes in the hope of what is to come. This is the leader of God's army, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has defeated Satan. He's the one that will defeat all of our enemies. It gives me hope to know that what I am longing for in the future, what I am longing for in in a resurrected, purified state, that state is already present for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is already resurrected in his perfected body, and he is waiting to come again to rescue his people and to bring judgment on his enemies. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that you're to put on as a helmet to protect your mind. Also, we are to take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. See, the, the sword, the Word of God, which is a double, like a double-edged sword piercing to joints and marrow, that sword is what accomplishes the promises and the purposes of our great and awesome God. It is that sword that slays the dragon. This is the battle axe. This is the battle axe that God has given to us to break down the strongholds that raise themselves against the knowledge of Christ. It's the axe that breaks the enemy gates. It's the key that unlocks the door to the dungeon and brings you out. Are you using it? It It's the example that Jesus gives in the wilderness when Satan is tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. By the way, those texts that he cites are not the most famous of the Old Testament. They're not entirely obscure, but they're semi-obscure, perhaps to you and to me. But Jesus knew it backwards and forwards. He was the master swordsman who knew his Bible inside and out so that when the devil would tempt him, he could bring it out up here and be able to spit it out through his mouth. How are you using that sword? There are some people who abandon the sword altogether, abandon the Bible altogether, and claim that it is not legitimate as the Word of God, and they are immediately cut down by the enemy. 
There are other people who say it is the legitimate word of God, but it's really not that useful, and they neglect it in their own life. And they're cut down by the enemy. There are other people who say it's legitimate, but then they bend the word, and they twist the sword, and they, they try to refashion the sword, and they change it to say whatever they want it to say. And when the enemy comes, they try to get it out, but they can't fight the enemy because they've, they've damaged the only thing that was given to them. It's the only offensive weapon listed here in this passage. The nature of this sword is such that it is forged by God himself, and it is given to you and I to use on the enemy. I love that scene in The Lord of the Rings and the Council of Elrond. And when they're, they're gathered together and they're looking at the ring and they're wondering, how do we get rid of this? And Gimli, at least in the movie, takes his axe and says, well, let's just get rid of it. And he, he tries to hammer it with his axe and his, it, it starts to come to pe- his axe starts to come to pieces. And somebody says, there's no weapon that we have here that can break the ring, that can destroy the ring. They have to take it to the fires of Mordor. Well, who's going to go? Nobody's strong enough to go. I see so many people who claim to be Christians who believe that this battle can be fought with the weapons of this, this day and age, whether it's money or a house or a career. Those things are good, but those things will not help us in this battle. They will, you cannot ransom the soul of your children by paying money to anyone. You cannot ransom, you cannot protect your marriage and protect your children using money or mortgaging your house or climbing the next ladder on the career, on, on the career ladder, climbing the, the next rung. You can't do it. That's not the weapons that we're given for this fight. It's not the same battle. The only weapon, offensive weapon, that we are given here is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God given to us here in Scripture. It is the word that redeems us from slavery. It's, it is the sword that, that takes people from the bondage of sin and out of Satan's army and brings them into the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just to, to add a personal testimony to that, here's the evidence that it had the power to convert me when I was in the dungeon. And that if you name the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, what you're saying is that this word had the power and authority to come and unlock the door to the dungeon and bring you out. That's what we're dealing with in the Word of God. So have you read the Word of God? Are you making it a priority in your life? Are you memorizing it? Are you marinating in it? Are you clinging to it like a man going into battle who who clings to it as if it's his lifeline? If a man loses his sword in battle, he's a dead man. So how are you treating it? And by the way, even though it's not listed as a, a piece of armor 
I don't want to say, I don't want to miss prayer. It says to keep alert, making supplication for all the saints to pray. How are you doing on that? Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? 1 Samuel chapter 17, when David, he's a shepherd boy, and he's sent out to not fight, he's sent out to deliver cheeses to the commander of the army and some food to his brothers in 1 Samuel 17. And while he's doing this mission, while he's going on this errand, he hears Goliath taunt the Israelites, and the Israelites are really afraid. They're cowering. And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The word gets back to Saul. Saul invites him into the tent. And David says something like, don't be afraid. I'm going to fight this this Philistine. And Saul says, you can't do that. You're just a boy. He doesn't say it exactly this way, but this is a man's fight. You're just a boy. David says, well, I'm a shepherd, and I fought lions and bears, and the one who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear is going to deliver me from this fight as well. Saul says, well, if you're going to go fight him, then you should at least take this armor. David tries on the armor. It doesn't say exactly why in the text, but he says, this is not going to do. It's, I haven't tested it, and perhaps it's too clunky. Perhaps it's too big. David says, this is not going to work. So he goes out with a sling and a stone. But what is his armor? What is he dressed in? Sure, he's dressed in a tunic. Sure, he's got shoes on his feet. But what is he really clothed in? David is clothed in power from on high. And he comes and he says, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies that you are defying. And with a sling and a stone, he stands in the evil day. Brothers and sisters, I want you to stand in the evil day. I want you to win this battle. But you cannot do it in the weapons of this world. All of the things around you that you think are going to protect you in this fight are not good. Abandon those weapons and put your time and energy and sacrifice into this. This is what is going to save us. And specifically, what is it that is going to save us? It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the leader of this army. The one who was stripped naked and bruised and beaten and crucified in order that you could be clothed in the full armor of God. He was the one who, when he went to the cross and it looked like a a defeat in the eyes of the world, it was the greatest military victory in the history of the human race. And he did it so that he could bring you out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, into the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that you could stand in the evil day. But do not bring a knife to this fight. Don't bring a gun to this fight. Take the sword. Take the sword. Take the sword. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the leader of your army. We acknowledge to you that Paul, that Stephen, that men like them have gone through far more than we could ever go through in this life, and they stood. But chiefly, the Lord Jesus Christ stood in our place, and he experienced the punishment that we deserved. And he's handed us your sword. He's given us the full armor of God. He's clothed us in his, in his righteousness. He's given us his helmet, how we are to think about this life and the life to come. You've given us the gospel to wrap our feet in so that we don't lose our, our footing in this fight. And I pray, especially for the young ones here, who are being tempted by the enemy, who are being led astray by all of the messages of the world, I pray that they would stand in the evil day, not for their glory, but because of your grace, but because of your great power, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be honored and glorified, and may we not receive any of the glory in this fight. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.